Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. This is In Conversation, the podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, and I'm Farah, and I'm delighted and honored to be here with Caroline Mace. She is an expert in the field of human consciousness and mysticism, and her books, including Anatomy of a Spirit and Sacred Contracts, have inspired so many across the world. And I'm delighted to speak to you about your forthcoming book, Holy Language, Prayer, Guidance, and Grace. Yeah. So, about that. Yes, tell us a little bit about what holy language is and what it differentiates it from ordinary language. Well, uh, the title is The Power of Holy Language, and holy language is, uh, well, it's, it's in all forms of expression, but the first thing is that holy language, what differentiates it from ordinary language is that it's a conduit of grace. And so the many expressions of holy language include everything from scripture to sacred dance to ritual to um, holy intention, kind intentions with people. I mean, holy language is that which emanates from our soul, from our heart, um, all of the many ways in which the nature of the divine, consciously or unconsciously, is expressed through our life, through our so, actions. I was just going to say it's not just words, but actions, um, thoughts, uh, behaviors, everything. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do we um, bring that into our lives? Well, and, and let me say, I felt there was an urgency to write this book. Because for the first time in the history of humanity, really, um, we have a blockage with holy language. I mean, prior to today... Um, we, we have a way of being hesitant about holy language. We have a way of, of um, blocking it as a, as a flow through us. Um, we have a way of saying, of saying, well, I, I'm not sure I believe in God or the word God bothers me or and this happens in all kinds of ways. Or for example, it's very common for me to um, have discussions with people in my workshop in which they cannot tell me, well, they can tell me with absolute conviction what they don't have faith in, but they cannot tell me what they do have faith in. And faith is one of the backbone words of holy language. And after years and years of observing 
people, and specifically the source of suffering, the inability to have faith is directly connected to the inability to trust. And it's not just faith in the divine, but when you lack faith, the mechanism itself, and um, you find it difficult to have faith in anything, much less yourself. And when you don't have faith in yourself or trust in yourself, these are two sacred factors. These are two of the main graces. And that makes it very difficult for you to navigate even the most ordinary things in your life. Relationships, agreements, the ordinary dynamics of life. And at the end of the day, it's because you don't have faith in the greater sphere of the sacred in your life. That's a very profound insight into, into the collective psyche of human species. It, it, it feels so true, what you're saying. Um, it is true. It is true. We're in a collective, huge faith and trust crisis. And, and when, when we, we are more comfortable in doubt than in faith. We are more comfortable with the dark than with the light. And that is the truth. We, we, are, we have a trial going on today because, or an investigation, because a whistleblower surfaced. We have to name, give a man, give a title to someone who tells the truth. Because telling the truth is so risky. Truth is a holy word. And we find it so risky in this society, in this world now, that it, that person has to be protected by laws. What does that tell you? So how do we invite the sacred and bring the sacred back and bring faith back into our lives? There's nothing simple about that. And it's not a, just a one answer thing. I mean, it's historically, what, well, personally, what brings faith into someone's life is crisis. They have to need God. They have to need faith. They need, they need a reason to the, the, the external world and their external resources that they can reason with. Their, their life has to become unreasonable. All of their external ways of getting help have to fail them. That's usually the case with health. Mm -hmm. When the doctor says, well, all we can do now is pray. All the external sources of getting through something have to fail them. And that's when they have to make the decision to look up and say, help. That's always been the case. Somebody who thinks that it's people who say to me, I doubt that there's a God or whatever, are usually in good shape. They usually have, you know, they usually can take care of themselves. They're still at that place 
where they can buy their groceries and they can take care of themselves. They still think they're in charge of their lives. They still have that illusion going for them. It's not until I'm with somebody who is in a crisis where they'll say, teach me to pray. I mean, I, I, what, is God, what is God like? That they start to, to look at that. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people on a spiritual path who are not in crisis. Let me be very clear here. Um, but we're, we're living at this incredibly interesting time where spirituality has been kind of mixed with this idea that the spiritual path is a path for healing and a path for self-discovery and self-empowerment. So it's kind of been mixed with this hybrid that that's that it's all that it's about finding out what makes you special. And and people will say I know I was born for something special as if that's the spiritual path. The path to be extraordinary, the path to find out why God gave you life and that 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 reason is specialness. The, to be noticed, to be to stand out, that that's the spiritual path, and that's got nothing to. That's quite the opposite. So obviously, uh, obviously, that begs the question: What is a spiritual life, and what is a spiritual path, and and how can one? walk that path understanding what it really means to to live a spiritual life well you have to really return to the teachings of the great masters and none of them none of them will tell you that the spiritual path is a path of specialness they'll never tell you that what do they tell you what do they tell you it's a what path of serve uh, selfless love <laughs> and, but what else is it um, something definitely beyond the I and the self, something far greater than, than our individual. Are you on a spiritual path? Myself? I consider myself, yes. It's a path of truth. It's a path of self-knowledge and self-discovery. It's a path of what is real. What is illusion in me? What is illusion in me? What is the truth? What are my motives? What drives me? Why can't I be more loving? What's really going on here? Why am I not more integrous? How can I become more integrous? What are the illusions in my life? Why do my cravings drive me? That's the spiritual path. That's the spiritual path. It's one of that type of rigorous inner drive. Instead of when people say, well, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to forgive, that's not ever the truth. It means they should say to me, I dwell on vengeance and I need to get that out of me. A spiritual path is when someone says, I need to deal with the truth that I am controlled by the fear of being humiliated. And because of that, I cannot follow guidance. 
because I am more concerned with what people will think of me than of listening to my interior voice. That's the spiritual path. So these kinds of deep questions that take us into the interior realm of ourselves um, are, is it, um, how do you, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> Have I rattled you somehow? Well, I, I um, what I'd like to know is, it seems that grace is an inevitable part of connection to the sacred and walking that path of inquiring into our inner realm. So can you speak a little bit about grace? I can speak a lot about grace. Grace is a mystical substance. It's a mystical substance. It's, it's not, and it flows in abundance. You know, grace is, and it has so many forms of expression. I was just writing about it this morning because I'm finishing the book and I have to turn it in in nine days. Um, so what, how do we experience grace? And one way I think that people can relate to grace is that um, everybody has been in confrontations with people in which it gets heated they start saying things and the ego takes over and the reason they're in these dis disagreements gets eclipsed by the desire to win and to get the other person to validate their hurt feelings. And so they start saying things and then there's always the moment where they start throwing out wounds that are historic. You know, well, you always did this and blah, 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 blah. And then comes the big wound that you have up your sleeve that you think, then I'm going to say this. <clears throat> and everyone can relate to hearing that voice that says, you be careful here. Because if you say that, there's no going back. That's how grace comes in. Grace is that warning that says you behave yourself. Because you won't say that to yourself. Because you're, you're hell-bent on winning. So grace is the part that comes in and says, stop it. You behave yourself. It's the force that makes you storm out the door and then say later, I was so glad I did. Grace is that force that comes in like a visitation when you are in so much despair and you think, I'll never get through this, only to, to suddenly feel, I will. You don't know how, you don't know in which way, but then comes that tiny little powerful thought deep in your gut. It's not in your mind, it's in your gut if you, if you really feel it, that says you're going to get through this, just hang in. And suddenly you, you think, I'll get through this. You don't even know why, and you don't even realize in the moment that I didn't tell myself this. Something else told me this. But later you realize, I, you know, I had the funniest thought. And I just knew I'd make it through. And very rarely do people say, I had this grace download. But they did. 
That's how it works. When I listen to you speak about grace, it makes me think about the connection with intuition. How are they different? Or are they? Well, intuition is the delivery system. It's a ingra- It's divine organics. Think of it that way. It's the way we hear it. It's divine organics. But there's, you know, intuition is like a layer cake. There's layers of intuition. We're born wired. You have gut intuition that you don't even have to think about. The thing that says, don't eat this. It doesn't look good. You know, this doesn't look good to me. And you can't see the interior, but you just think, you know, this doesn't look good. Or you can be driving and think, you know, I'm just going to turn this way. You don't know why, but you did. And it saved you from an accident. And you'll never know that. So your gut intuition is an operating system that's just as effective for criminals as it is for you. The criminal that has the instinct of this person's a, this person is just a setup for me. That intuition is as accurate for them. It's gut level animal instinct. They can sniff out. That's how a drug addict can go to a town and smell a mutual drug addict for drugs within a half hour. But then that next level of intuition is more conscious. It's that part where you are engaging that voice. You're actively engaging your intuitive voice. You're refining it. You're asking that intuitive voice, what should I do here? What, what, what are my feelings here? And that's where you engage growth. And you start... Is this the right thing to do? Is this the wrong? You're engaging your conscience, conscience, the metronome in you that is wired from birth. It says, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is not. That's a metronome. A lot of people have turned off. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have turned that off. And that's a problem. And that's where holy language has fallen off the rails for them. So our uh, disconnect with our conscience is one of the reasons we've lost that connection with a greater power. Absolutely. And people have gone straight to the word consciousness, which means nothing. What does, it mean? what, what does that word mean? It's a, it's, it's, it means nothing. For some people, it means that they recycle garbage. Oh, I throw my, my bottles in this bag and I throw it in this. Or it means that they only eat organic. And that's what makes them conscious. Really? But they're also completely disconnected from a sense of, oh, I don't watch the news because it's so bad for me. When in fact, they're disconnected from the truth that all life breathes together, that we're all in this situation together. That just because you don't watch the news, you're not disconnected from the collective. That what I do to one, I do to all. What's done out there is in fact filtering into me. I'm part of this collective. If I don't pray for the collective, I'm dropping the ball on my spiritual practice. So I don't get to separate from the whole. I don't have that option. The more conscious you are, the more part of the whole you have to be. You don't have that option. 
So I guess that really speaks to the urgency of people to engage in holy language also for what's happening collectively in terms of, you know, that there's still injustice and war and violence in our relationship with the earth. We have a responsibility to to bring that into our lives so that the collective is, so that we can contribute to the collective in a way that isn't perpetuating what's already been Done. I'm doing a series of workshops next year that that is an extension of holy language. It's called Breathe Together. How we heal ourselves, we heal the whole. We are one living, huge, organic system of life. Your health is as connected to the whole as the health of everything. What do you think an epidemic is? That's our collective. We are one living body. That's what, from the archetypal realm to our physical health. We are climate change. As our inner climate changes, we are on the internet as much as on the internet. We cannot separate ourselves from the whole and decide that's a conscious choice because we're so special. That's what narcissism has produced. We have to jump right back in. That's what a spiritual practice is. Realizing I am so interconnected to this that the spiritual practice is how to become whole and part of the whole simultaneously. We become more fragile, not more strong. We've gone backwards. So our disengagement, say, or alienation from, say, political realm or politics is is actually weakening us, that our, our role and responsibility as part of a whole is actually to be more engaged and be more, more involved. We are responsible for the health of everything. Everything. Absolutely. What aren't you responsible for? What? You think someone else is responsible for your freedom? Really? Do you think, do I think someone is responsible for the health of my planet that I get to do whatever I want and think, well, this is all going to work out. I'm here and alive now. It's my responsibility to do what I can for the planet to the best of my ability. I can't sleep through climate change any more than I can sleep through the breakdown of freedom in my country. What am I not responsible for? What do you think holism means? What does holism mean? We have to stop defining it as only limited to our health. What is in the micro is in the macro. That is a spiritual life. So one thing that I've um, noticed is that people who are very involved um, politically or actively engaged, there's this struggle with feeling overwhelmed you know how does one maintain that connection to faith and balance it with a feeling of overwhelm that's right that's that's a worthy question and that's detachment complete detachment both are true here's the psyche this is the this is the spiritual path detachment like buddha and complete holy intimacy like Jesus. 
This is a fully, wholly intimate universe. And you get detached because it's illusion as well. And therein lies divine mystery. Because all things will pass, but they're all in the active state of creation. So we are here as active agents of creation. By Buddhist as illusion, it's, everything is in change, but we are active agents of that change. So this is, tomorrow will not be the same world it is today, but how it hands up tomorrow is up to the choices we make today. It is very much up to the choices we make today. We are not here as observers. And yet the choices we make today have to be made with the absolute truth that I am not engaging in the illusions that I cannot change things. One little girl named Greta turned the whole world into a, a, <clears throat> a, a movement for climate change because she sat back on for three weeks and held up a sign in her home country because she didn't believe that she couldn't make a difference. That's her spiritual path. That's the power of the spirit. It's so inspiring to see her and so moving and so hopeful, I, I feel, when I listen to her speak. But and what do you do with that inspiration? I've been thinking about um, what I can do. Precisely. It's really inspired me even more to reflect on my, my own actions and my own contributions. Precisely. Because we're all part of that. It's not enough to applaud her. It's enough to say, you're right, this is my planet. What am I doing here? You're not carrying my weight. I have to carry my weight on behalf of everybody. On behalf of, this is my planet too. That's how we heal the whole. That's a spiritual path. So we've been um, talking a lot about our actions and behaviors and engagement, but I want to bring it back to uh, prayer, which is kind of where we started and the inner and what you mentioned collective prayers for the well-being of the whole. Can you speak a little bit more and give some examples of the kinds of prayers that you think are really useful right now? There's no such thing as an unuseful prayer. You know, how I pray is I just talk to God. Wait a minute. Let me see. I got a bunch of prayers here that I wrote for my book. Let me see. And honestly, it go like this. It's as simple as this. Lord, today I enter into silence and I listen for the sound of how you express yourself in my life. In ancient days, you spoke through the wind and through the fire and through the storms and the movement of the sun. And the ancients saw you everywhere and in everything and they recognized your presence in nature and the forest and in the whisper of the trees. And our thinking today is that they were foolish, frightened human beings, little more than cave dwellers wandering on a primitive earth, but perhaps not. Perhaps they were really filled with clarity, unencumbered with doubt. They stood on a silent earth, a clean, pure earth, empty of noise, and everything was fresh and unpolluted. That's how I pray. I talk to God in conversation. 
And then I'll say, there in this sacred silence and in this inner place, I wait for you. And I listen. That's how I pray. And that's what my book is filled with. These types of times of listening, of thoughtful perspective, of dialogue with God. And what's your hope in offering these to the people in the workshops that you lead, to the people who will read the book? I think it's time that the idea that there's an off-planet God that looks like a man ends. There is no God that looks like us. The era of the half-God, half-man image is over with. There is no God that fits into a religion. God does not have a religion. We can have one, but God does not have one. You want a religion? Have a religion. But there is no God that has a religion. There is only the divine. And the divine expresses itself in laws, the laws of the universe. Law has no religion. This universe operates on laws. Laws are consistent. They <clears throat> favor no one. Your body operates on laws. The orbits, the planets, mathematics. And that sounds so impersonal, but it's not. Because the mystical laws are the laws that govern your soul. And these are the laws that govern creation. And that's the power that our soul has. The power to choose and have consequences. And that's the power of creation. And that's the power that governs. And that's why we pray. Prayer makes the impersonal intimate. God, grant me the wisdom to use this power of creation. What do you want me to do with this? And that's what makes it so intimate. And for some reason, and I'll never explain it, the divine knows exactly where we are, what we're doing, and what we're creating. So it is both incredibly impersonal, the law of gravity, you jump, I jump, we fall. And it's terribly personal and incredibly intimate. Every choice is known. I don't get it, not my job to know it. But it is mine somehow to report it. I'm a cosmic journalist. <laughs> um, these creative powers that are bestowed upon the, the soul, the spirit, um, how do you use them in, you know, when you wake up, what, what it like, what are the, the things that you, that you can share with us that are an expression of, you know, what you begin your day and say, how do you want me to use this day? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to use this day? Bless this day and all that I do. And then start your day out. Become mindful that everything you do, everything you say, everything you feel is going to result in an act of creation with your name on it. With your name on it. You don't get away with anything. We don't get away. There are no secrets in this universe. And there's no end. I want you to, just as an exercise, <clears throat> even a feeling, even a thought, track it and think, what's, where does this end? 
what's the end point on the consequence? If I have this thought and I believe it, what does it lead to? What's the next thought? And what's the next thought that it will create? What will it inspire me to do? Well, what, what will it give birth? Nothing ever stops. We never stop creating. One thing always leads to another. Even something you eat has never, never stops. You eat something and then your body releases it and it goes back into the cycle of life. Nothing ever stops. It was one of Buddha's great truths. It is so awesome that that's what the mystics meant when they finally said, and this is true surrender. I am surrendering this power of creation to you. Bill Wilson in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, that act of surrender has been associated with, oh my God, I surrender because I'm such a failure. But the true act of surrender is, oh my God, I have so much power. I take, you know what? I surrender this back to you because I don't want to blow it. So I put myself fully in your charge. You tell me what you want me to do. Now that's surrender. That is such a beautiful, humbling, awe-inspiring um, thing that you just shared. You know, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And then you live this life and think, I either am going to grace this moment or I'm not. Why would I not grace this moment? Why would I not support this person? What's a spiritual practice? You ask yourself, why could I not be nice to this person? Why could I not empower this person? One of the most difficult things for people to do is to empower someone, is to say, do this. It's great for you. Love them endlessly. Big, huge, not little. I see people, their greatest suffering is that they hold back love. It's not that they aren't loved. It's that they, they love in small doses. Like if I love too much, I might empower them. You're damn right you're going to empower them. And what are you afraid of? That they'll leave you. Well, what if they do? What if they do? Your great suffering is, you, is that you, you are squeezing your heart into a small box. But what if my heart breaks? Well, what if it does? <laughs> Let it break. Let it break wide open. And then your prayer is, fill this big space I just discovered. Who? ever prays to mend a broken heart. What kind of prayer is that? It's, wow, look at all this space I didn't know. Of course it's going to hurt to break it open because you've been sitting on it for so long. Look at people think. Who, who would hold back love? Now that's pain. Mm I've been thinking a lot about opposites and just how um, immature our understanding of opposites. And I think about in context of what we started this interview with when you said, usually what brings people to faith is crisis. Um, it's, been, it's been so inspiring and so thought-provoking and so uh, wonderful to be with you and, and hear these truths of speak to the deepest part of ourselves. Um, is there a prayer that you'd like to leave us with that you can share with the people who might be watching or listening? 
You know what I would tell everybody instead of that? I mean, I, I shared a little bit of a prayer with you, but I would tell everybody, just pray like you're crazy. Pray like God's got your backside. Pray like every day is filled with hidden miracles. Pray not to have a different life, but to love the life you have. Stop wanting your life to be other than the life you have. Just for once say, you know what? Thank you for this life. And if you're going through difficult times or dark times, hard times, you have to trust that God is law. And the law is spring always comes after the winter. Joy will return. It will bang on your door. It will bang on your door to come in because that's the law. Well, that's a, a beautiful note for us to end on is, is this gratitude for our lives and for the, the laws that govern this universe and the laws. the nature of God. Know the nature of God. Know the nature of God. This is the nature of God. You don't need a bunch of candles. You need faith. And know the nature of God. That's why I wrote this book. Well, I have no doubt it will be a powerful book to read, and I have no doubt that it will inspire many, as many of your books have. It's been um, really an honor to share space with you over the miracles of the internet and, uh, and be with you in person to be personally inspired. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You've been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.